0: Welcome to this episode of Tea with Triggy. It's great to have you here. This is a podcast where I catch up with friends and people that I find fascinating. I check that they're doing okay and ask for tips to help us stay at home more comfortable. My guest this week is the multi-award winning, super talented singer-songwriter Richard Marks and my dear friend... Richard Marks, I can't believe I'm talking to you all these miles apart.
1: I am so, so happy to to see you and to hear you. And you know, you're one of my, you and Lee are two of my favorite people in the world. Oh. And I, uh, every once in a while, I call our mutual friend, Hugh Jackman, just to thank him for setting us up on that blind date.
0: I know, isn't that amazing? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it this morning because I was, you know, Really looking forward to, and thank you for getting everyone. He's got up really early to talk to me. I'm very, very honoured because you're in California, oh, right?
1: I'm in Malibu, California, and mm-hmm. all the, all the hardship of waking up at eight thirty a.m. I'm. <laughs>
0: well, thank you, but um, and I was thinking, I was thinking, gosh, we, how many years ago was that we met at? It was Hugh's birthday, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and we're I, not
0: name dropping everyone. Well, we are, but sure he we are. happens to be. <laughs> He happens to be a, a a very close friend of yours and a close friend of ours. We all met separately, and actually, I have to tell you, I don't know whether I've ever told you this, but was it his fortieth birthday? I, I mean, don't,
1: I don't think it was his fortieth. I think it was um,
0: forty-two
1: or something. Yeah, it was somewhere in there. Well,
0: yeah, oh, yeah, maybe. Was ten? Ten, eleven years ago. I would say about ten or eleven years yeah, ago. In New York, Lee and I—Lee, my husband and I—we were in New York, and and Hugh very sweetly invited us to his birthday dinner. Mm. And we got there, and and they were all different tables, and the seat next to me was empty for quite a long time. And I think I, I think I said to Hugh, you know what? what did somebody not turn up? And he said, No, it's my. Dear, dear friend, Richard Marks, in which case I nearly had a heart attack because I loved you so much. <laughs> I didn't know. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to sit next to Richard Marks. Oh, my God, what am I going to say? It was so oh. funny. I think your plane had come in from Chicago late or something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember.
0: And, but it's so funny because, you know, in, in later life, you don't often meet that many people that you become close friends with. Yep. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And we kind of all instinctively knew that it was kind of a, a new lovely <laughs> friendship blossoming, I'm happy to say.
1: Well, I think, as I remember, didn't we, then the four of us went out to dinner, just the four of us the next mm-hmm. night or two nights later or something, while while we were still with my ex-wife and we were still in New York after Hugh's uh, birthday. And that's that was it. We went to some, uh, some pub. Oh, yeah or a place that not a pub but a place that you guys loved in New York
0: was it cognac
1: i don't remember the I name think of
0: it was one that did it did pizza based um it was like yeah. a pizza based with, uh, with um tuna raw tuna on with um like it was like a japanese pizza and it's one of the most oh, it's making my mouth water talking yeah yeah, yeah. i don't
1: remember <laughs> i don't remember the food I, I remember the decor of the restaurant a little bit but all i remember is thinking kind of the same thing that you just said which is yeah. it had been such a long time since I felt like oh these are my people like these are my people like I really connected with you guys it's in a funny. way that I don't normally do with
0: yeah. people well, we, us too, us too. but it's nice it's, it's certainly been lovely for us and
1: same um, same for me <laughs> and now and, you and now you're pals with Daisy and it's
0: I know. Well, I'm very happy we got to meet before this horrible, Mm. horribleness began. Have you two been okay, by the way?
1: Yeah, we've been fine. Um,
0: You're in California, yeah?
1: Yeah, we're in Malibu. um, And I think the best way to put it is that we took it so seriously from the get-go. I I was about to... uh, The day before we flew, we were in New York when we decided to cancel my entire European tour, which you guys were going to come to shows. It was 22, 23 shows. And we just came home and we have been, I would say pretty methodical and certainly consistent about following the guidelines and, and taking it really, really seriously. And luckily no one really close to us has gotten it except Daisy's has twin nephews in Miami. Mm-hmm. And they actually both got it. What age? Seventeen. They had no symptoms whatsoever, and the only reason that they even got tested was because a friend of theirs, who they had been, they had just seen, tested positive. So everybody needed to get tested.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: And they but went they in. No
0: symptoms.
1: They had zero symptoms from the from before or after getting tested.
0: And they're fine.
1: They're fine. My three sons, who all live kind of near me,
0: are they all in California?
1: Yeah, they're all uh, kind of near each other in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley.
0: Okay. And
1: my eldest, Brandon, turned thirty two days ago, and that freaks me Happy
0: out. Birthday! I know. I can't believe. Well, look at you. You're you're gorgeous. I can't uh, believe you're a thirty year old. Well, this is why I woke up early. Aren't I right in saying you're a granddad as well?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, yes,
0: yes. Well, we are now. We're we've got five now. Unbelievable. But, um, But I can't believe you're a (laughs) grandpa—the handsomest grandpa in the world.
1: Shit happens, and (laughs) and from that, beautiful things come. And that's true. uh, And my granddaughter Maddie is uh, 11. She turned 11 in July.
0: Oh, bless her! She's amazing. So you can see all of them, can you? Yeah. Oh, good. It's not still lockdown in California, though, is it?
1: No. No, it hasn't been like that for a while. But for mm. a while it was, uh, I don't know if you had any version of it there, but we had uh, curfew. We had, like, you couldn't be out past a certain time.
0: And- no, we didn't have curfew, but we had lockdown. And they are now talking about, that uh, they've tied, in the summer they were starting to ease, you know, letting people go to certain countries. Yeah. But, you know, letting the uh, they've opened pubs and restaurants, all socially distancing, but... Right. It's rising again, which is a bit worrying, so they're now tightening up again, and you're allowed to visit in bubbles right I mean we've got to do it, and we wear masks when we go out, we're just very, very careful, and we we kind of have been in the country for six months
1: right what did what did lockdown mean for you guys exactly
0: well, in the beginning because we're in the vulnerable age group, Lee and mm-hmm. I.
1: Although you'd never know it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. That's very, I'm, I'm right on the edge, but I am on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Lee's kind of in the middle. Um, it just, well, in the beginning, we couldn't, we they, they advised you to have deliveries of food and not to go out. I mean, it was, yeah. it was pretty serious. They had to. You know, England, I think I'm right in saying, our prime minister probably won't like me to say it, but they left it a bit late to do it they if yeah. they'd have done they'd have, they should have stopped people coming in from abroad 2 weeks earlier because they knew about it yeah. and and also the news coming out of china should have been let out sooner and well, they you know it wouldn't have been as bad you but know they, i yeah. think
1: i think you know that your <laughs> situation compared to ours is night and day so i
0: know unfortunately are quite politically outspoken cuz On social media, and I follow that. And it's amazing what you what you you do. And you're very brave. And I think so. You've got so many followers who agree with you. I mean, are you nervous about the election coming up?
1: Yeah, very much so. Very much
0: so. People must realize by now that it ain't working.
1: (laughs) But they don't, and and unfortunately, uh, and I know that this isn't uh, unique to America, but but it really is particularly um, present in America right now, which is that blind ideology seems to supersede decency or just doing the right thing. You know, Um, I I predicted that Trump was going to win four years ago. Oh
0: my goodness. Yeah.
1: I mean, and I was, I was mortified. Um, And by the way, I was not like a big, huge Hillary Clinton fan or supporter either, but I certainly didn't, feel that Donald Trump was, you know, the right guy for the the job. Um, And then what's happened since then is that like millions of people, we see that we were, we had no idea how right we were, that he was the wrong guy for the job. Mm -hmm. But we also have millions and millions of people who either, I I can't really put my finger on it. I think in some ways they are, uh, they're legitimate and they're, they're honest in their support for him, which is just mind blowing to me. But there's also a lot of people and I don't know if you have it as much in the UK, but when you choose your political ideology, you will not vary from it. You will walk the party line and you will...
0: No matter what.
1: It's just there's no critical thinking and oh, there's...
0: Absolutely. We have people here, you know, if, if their mum and dad were Labour or conservative, right. if that's what they they did.
1: It's myopic. It's, yeah, uh, it is. Totally. And it's frustrating. So the, the answer to your question, though, is... as abysmal as things have been, especially this year. And now finding out that Trump, in fact, did know the severity of the virus. He did know that it affected young people. He did know that it was way deadlier than the flu. And he lied to the American people consistently to protect himself, his own interests, the stock market. Yeah. Um, The fact that we're going into an election very soon, and I think it's, I think it could go either way. I mean, the fact that The fact that there's even a question, let alone this could easily, he could easily be reelected. This just, it's really difficult for my brain to process.
0: I bet it is, I bet it is. I didn't really. You may have told me, but I'd, your mum was a singer. Yeah. And what what kind of music did she do? I mean, was she pop or country or?
1: She was. She was a uh, jazz and big band singer when she first started.
0: So when would this have been in the?
1: This would have been in the 1950s. She'll be 85 tomorrow. And,
0: oh, yeah! Will you happy birthday, for from I sure
1: will for sure. Oh,
0: that's brilliant. Um,
1: She grew up in this tiny little town in Ohio called East Liverpool. Um, And it was a it was a it was a uh, steel mill town. And it was very impoverished. And um, she was the first person in the history of her family to graduate from high school. Um. She just had dreams of just getting out of this town and making something of her life. Um, But she also never really had. Uh, ambition to become a star or anything like that. She just wanted to sing and she wanted to sing in groups and and just tour and and, and she ended up.
0: She just have a god given voice. She she, she was yeah. you know, like I mean your voice is so well, I, wonderful.
1: Well, whatever talent I have, as, <laughs> your mum. Whatever talent I have as a singer, I get from her. Genetic. No, because
0: I think people can learn technique, right, and certain things. But most wonderful voices are god god-given voices aren't they yeah yeah
1: think? i think so i think so for sure
0: and uh, you've got one of those voices i always i was the people that really hit me and why i became such a big fan before i even met you was that your voice hits you in your kind of upper stomach it's one of <laughs> in the nicest way it's one of those it's like oh i love that voice and certain people have it and you know you can't you can't learn that it's a voice that touches your soul i think Well, that's
1: incredibly sweet, especially coming from you. Because I really love your singing too, and
0: and you you. have that's
1: the thing about that I love about listening to you sing, which is that it's just so honest, and it's so uh, not about any kind of acrobatics or technique as much as just like really owning the lyric that you're singing. And so I'm I'm a huge fan. Well,
0: thank you. But that's why you know I I'm a big big lyric fan. Yeah. And that's why, again, I love your songs. And if I do a song, I get into the lyrics. Sure. And that's why I, I well, I don't think I can do, I could do all that kind of history, not histrionic. What, what's it when people sing all different? Yeah. Uh,
1: what is that word? They
0: call it, there is a word
1: it's acrobatics. But, it's, uh... Yeah,
0: a little bit. I, it's not, I just get into the, to the lyrics of the song and that kind of takes over. And as long as you're singing in your in your key, yeah, you can kind of do it, can't you? Yeah. But I know. I have, that's why when I I did my last album, which is God, ten years ago now, and I I do you remember I emailed? I was so I was so nervous because I did a, an album of um, romantic songs, and I wanted to do right here waiting,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I said to my producer. Oh, I'd I'd love to do it as a duet with Richard. He'll probably say no, but I'm going to email him anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And And what did I say?
0: You emailed me back about 10 minutes later and said yes. That's one of the happiest experiences for me. It was brilliant.
1: It was great. And then we shot a little video at the house. and
0: your house. It was It was was great. That video is lovely, actually.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's where I got to meet your lovely boys.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: So anyway, so your mom was a singer, and your dad was.
1: My dad was a uh, started as a jazz pianist, very successful in Chicago, where he was from. And right around the time he met my mother, she was uh, she came to Chicago to get vocal coaching, and he was he had a, my dad had a side job as a vocal coach. Okay. Um, and he, my, it was funny because my dad could not sing with a ship. Um, <laughs> seriously, could not sing, but he was he had perfect pitch. He was a brilliant composer, amazing pianist. Um, and so when my parents, right around the time my parents met, a couple years before I came along, my dad started his own jingle company in Chicago. And this was, you know, if, if any of you have ever seen that show, Mad Men, which was really about the advertising really? world in the 60s. And that was the life. And,
0: that was your dad's life.
1: Yeah, except that he didn't really deal too much with that with the corporate uh, advertising agency nonsense. He was really the music guy. So he wrote, arranged, mm-hmm. and produced the music for many, many famous television and radio. Sorry,
0: I, I bet I'd know a lot of those jingles. You would
1: probably. A lot of people around, because most of them were so uh, central to the, the U.S., so a lot of people internationally wouldn't know the jingles, but you spent so much time here that you well,
0: would. Well, I, I, I first... Came to America in 1967. Yeah, so was he doing them then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh,
1: he yeah. did things like um, two scoops of raisins and a package of Kellogg's raisin bran. Oh
0: yeah, I remember well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were so many of them. So he and he became really successful at that very fast and built his own recording studio um, because he could. The studios in Chicago couldn't keep up with the volume of work that he was doing.
0: Wow um, so is this where you got the bug, do you think? Yeah it may seem it's in your veins, Richard.
1: It's totally in my veins <laughs> and when I was about five years old, I can't remember what the commercial was for, but it was a kid oriented thing like breakfast cereal or something like that. and they needed a young they wanted a little boy to sing this this commercial. And it wasn't even my dad. It was one of his coworkers who said, well, why don't you just get Richard? He he sings great. Every time he, because I used to sing around the house all the time. And I would sing pretty well in tune, even as a little kid. And I would sing monkey songs and Beatles songs. And, (laughs) and uh, so they brought me in. I got out of school that day, which was amazing. And I went down to the, my parents studio and they, Showed me what to sing. They taught it to me. It was just a few lines, and I got it immediately. And it was like that was heroin. That was my first heroin injection.
0: That was your hit.
1: <laughs> it was, and I was like, I like it here. I like. I, there was something about a recording studio that hooked me, like how things worked, and and just being around. I still remember the smells of uh, guitar cases or violin cases or. The wonderful sensory experiences happening and I knew that I wanted to do that. I wanted to to go down that path.
0: As a kid, did you did you write kind of songs at home?
1: Yeah, not until I was about fifteen and was trying to get laid. <laughs> 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 oh <my God. laughs> I was writing songs for girls that I had crushes on.
0: When you write a song, is it the music first or you know the melody or the lyrics or does something, does a line hit you and you think, Oh, that's a good line. Or...
1: Um, it's 95% music first. It's like, um, I, I describe it as there's this radio station that plays in my head that only plays new melodies that I come up with. And then my job is to tap into that and then take what's what I'm hearing. See, when I hear, when I initially hear a piece of music in my head for a song it's not just a linear melody it's not like just notes on a piano or Mm -hmm. i hear the whole production i hear what the drums are playing i hear what the bass is doing i hear whether it needs strings I, i hear whether it's a rock song i hear whether it's a beautiful ballad and so then my my fun job as a producer is to go into a studio or now into you know my kid's bedroom you know computer setup. And bring what's in my head into speakers you know into, in, into life.
0: You hear all that in your in your head that's amazing. When you read about you know great composers like Beethoven that you, you often read that that they they heard the, the whole symphony, didn't yeah, they?
1: Totally, totally. And um, so the music is almost always finished or almost finished before I even think about what the lyrics are going to be. And I found that the music that I write, sort of tells me what the lyric should be. The, the, the music is what inspires the lyric. Now, sometimes like, I'll have a title that I think is really cool, and I'll try to think about what that title evokes for me as the music is coming. And then sometimes the lyrics are easy. But for the most part, uh, you know, I could write, I, if you said to me, I need 10 unique individual melodies, pieces of music, and I need them today, no problem. I'll just... Wow. Sit and I'll grab a guitar, or I'll just sit and think about. It. And the music is always present. How
0: wonderful! That's the
1: lyrics, cool. though, are a pain in the ass. The lyrics take me forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, people like um, well, the one that always springs to my, Joni Mitchell. I her, I think I read once because I'm I'm obsessed with her as as well. I love her her music, mm-hmm. but I think I read that she kind of it's more lyrically led. She Sound, liked, it sounds like it. Like a poem,
1: it sounds like it. I think Dylan is probably the same way.
0: Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! I bet you're right. In fact,
1: I just somebody just told me a story yesterday. Bob Dylan met Bono, this is maybe 10 years ago or Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, at a party, and they ended up going to back to Bob's house. Bob said, You know, come on to my house. And uh, I, don't, I don't even know if he really talks like that. He probably went, and Bono just knew what he meant. Um, and, and while they were hanging out at his house, they got on the subject of songwriting and, and inspiration. And, and Dylan said, come here. And he pulled open a drawer that was filled with papers and books of lyrics that he had never finished or done, done anything with or put music to. And Bono said it was not like it was a, it wasn't like a couple slips of paper or a couple cocktail napkins. It was a drawer full of Bob Dylan lyrics that no one had heard yet. And so I I think that I'm I'm sort of like the opposite of that in terms of I still have years and years of tape after tape after tape of melodies or groove ideas or chord progressions or you know I even on my phone like right now I probably have just in the last 3 or 4 months I probably have 50 snippets of pieces of music wow um, and so I have this treasure trove of uh, endless musical ideas that I sh- that I've never finished and sometimes they just sort of find me they just I remember them or or uh, I'll run across one on my voice notes or something and I'll, and and it'll, it'll be time to write that song. I'm sure with Dylan and I'm not in any way comparing myself in any way, but I think that with, with Bob, it's probably, you know, those lyrics will, will stay in the drawer until it's time for one of them to come out.
0: That's an amazing story. Absolutely amazing. So your last album, Limitless, which I love. Oh, thank you, dear. I absolutely love it. Thank you. But that came out, just before this the virus hit it got you I don't know whether I think I sent you an email but you were one week in February did it come out yeah February February, 7th yeah and you were the 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 album of the week on Radio 2 which is our big radio station for the for the whole week it was yeah Radio 2
1: has been incredibly supportive of this record they've um, well,
0: it's bloody good that's why but
1: they've they've uh <laughs> they've supported all three tracks all three singles you know got playlisted. i know I, it's,
0: it's lovely it's lovely for us because uh, you know when you come in, it's like oh it's yeah <laughs> <Mitchell Williams." laughs> it's lovely when you know people and you love them and you hear this i songs.
1: totally i couldn't agree more
0: but i love not in love i mean i love the whole album but not in love i love that's brilliant
1: i wrote that with sarah Borellis.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Do you you often collaborate?
1: More in the last 10 years than the first 25. Um, Oh, okay. uh, Still, the the bulk of my albums have been songs I wrote by myself. But Limitless, the songs on Limitless, I think, are the most collaborations I've ever released on an album. I wrote two songs with my son Lucas, one of which was the first single, and he produced it.
0: Is that another one down? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's yeah,
1: me too. I'm really, really proud so of you that.
0: You wrote that with Lucas? Yeah, right? I
1: wrote that with my 28-year-old. And
0: they, Do they do they produce with you or or do you produce your stuff? Well, I,
1: I tend to produce my own stuff. But when with Lucas, he was, for the last year and a half, two years especially, um, he's just found his groove as a writer-producer. And he creates these incredible tracks in the bedroom of his house and and he plays guitar and he plays great keyboards and he's a, he's become uh, all nepotism aside he's become one of my favorite songwriters and he's uh everything he would play me i wonder I would,
0: where he got that from <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i mean i know that there's some genetics that play there but he's taken a, he's picked up the ball and really run with it on his own and and it's very fresh and modern and and so i went to him uh towards the end of making limitless and i said Let's just try to write a song together. Let's just see what happens. And we wrote another one down in 40 minutes or something like that. And then he, and as we were writing it, he was putting the track together right in front of me so that as soon as we were almost finished with the lyrics, he said here, and he handed me headphones and he said, go stand there. And and he played the track and we did, we wrote and recorded that track. In a matter of three hours or something like that.
0: That's amazing. And it was
1: a top fifteen single here, and I he he had never had a song on the charts before. And
0: oh, I said, he must have been See, so
1: your crazy. old man, your old man can still pull it off. He? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does he perform as well, or is he purely kind of?
1: It's interesting, you know. He he was pretty bound and determined to be an artist, and he has right. sung. He's a great singer. And he has sung, uh, he's been like the featured vocalist on a lot of um, EDM tracks and dance tracks and um, stuff where he'll write the top line and then sing, be the vocalist. And he's had some okay. success with that. But he realized, uh, and he has performed, I've, he's actually opened for me on some of my shows and he's really great. Uh, he does a, just a solo acoustic thing, similar to what I have done. And he's charming and funny and he's handsome. And yet he came to the realization in the last year that he said, you know what? I just want to be, I want to be a great writer, producer. I don't think I want to perform. I don't think I want to tour. He said, I just don't think that that's in my, and I said, well, if you don't, if your attitude is not like I need to do this, or I'm going to freaking die, then you shouldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. You know? Cause that really should be the way you feel about performing.
0: Well, I think if it's not, you're not obsessed with doing it like going on the road must be so hard if you hate it
1: yeah exactly <laughs> it's
0: got to be a passion I think
1: yeah absolutely you
0: know you spent a lot of your um, career on the road
1: most of it yeah
0: do you love it or does it sometimes get you down
1: Um, interestingly I the first 15 years or so especially during the the height of my career in, in the late 80s and early 90s when it was hit after hit and I was touring nonstop. I look back on that time on the road many, 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 many years and shows. And I just wasn't enjoying it. I, 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 It represented, I was grateful for it. And I remember feeling guilty because I wasn't having fun. I felt that I was always worried about my voice holding up, which I never really had too many issues, but I I was always second guessing it and doubting it. I hated being away from my family and my friends for such a, an extended period of time. And even though I'm, I've, I've always been an introvert and i've always been somewhat of a loner that was that lifestyle at a certain point became just dark for me it was just like it's i was lonely. always alone and i was disconnected it's
0: lonely. it's lonely i mean i i i've never kind of i've done a a short theatrical tour of england yeah. but that was about i don't know 4 months mm. and even that when it came to the end i was very glad i mean i did the i did a broadway show in the 80s and that lasted but that was in one place. and right. I was in New York. It was a big I hit remember. show. So that, we, did, we did that for 18 months. Yeah. I was very glad when it came to an end, although I loved it. Yeah. It's, it's hard work.
1: It and is, but then. Like
0: looking after your voice and not talking. and.
1: But then in the last 10 years or so, Twiggy, I don't know what happened. I just, it all flipped. And I started to, first of all, I never, I think in the last 10 or 11 years, i canceled one show and that's because I got sick. I got really, really sick. I have no, I don't even worry about my voice. I don't, I just have so much fun and I have a totally different relationship with, with performing. And I wish I had it when I was younger and I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I wish I had it when I was playing arenas and stadiums and stuff like that. But now playing, uh, especially in, in the States when I, play these beautiful theaters, almost every night I find myself at some point just hearing my voice come back, hearing the audience sing along. It's oh. very intimate. I, I I try to make every concert an experience where people just feel like they're hanging out with me and not just being sort of performed at. You know, I want I, I talk a lot as you know and I tell stories.
0: I know. Well we saw you the last time you came yeah to the UK and it was it was you were found and, and for, as an audience member it's actually lovely seeing somebody you love in in a theatre rather than a stadium because yeah. you can see them and the sounds better I think yeah and you say there is a uh, you know there's that back and forth with the audience and I'm sure you can feel that more I mean a stadium must be amazing because it's so big and it is. it's amazing you can hear everyone thing but you can't get that that intimacy can you?
1: No, but there and there are two different animals. I, I mean, the last huge show I played was in at Hyde Park last year with uh, you know oh, I was yeah, part right. of the Barbara Streisand night, and I played on the I guess the B stage or whatever, but it was still I think we still had twelve thousand people, eleven thousand people, something like that, um, and that you know was with my band and we just played this really fun rock and roll show and I don't know that the the relationship I've had with the UK audiences ever since the first tour in '88. Actually, the first time I ever played in London was at Ronnie Scott's in 1987, and I've just had this uh, beautiful time there, especially Royal Albert Hall, which is such a. Uh, unless you've been in that building, you don't really understand, do you?
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I yeah way way back when I did my first album, I played the Albert Hall.
1: Isn't it just the greatest?
0: Oh, it's beautiful. It scared the living bejesus. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had to push me out because I'd, done, I'd gone around the country and they was, you know, they were concert halls. So I was yeah. using, and, I, and I remember going out for the sound check at the Albert Hall and I thought, oh, my goodness. And yeah. if you can believe it, on my first song, my, my microphone went out. We'd done a sound oh. check before. Apparently, I very calmly walked across the stage, although my heart was all I could hear was my heartbeat. I was so nervous. Well, you're nervous anyway, before you sure. the song.: And sure. apparently, I walked very calmly across, picked up my other mic, and, um, and the band just kept playing a kind of rift while I walked across. Right. But, oh my goodness, it was. And that's a big place. It was, yeah,
1: that was I, my, The first time I played at the Albert Hall was in, I think it was 1989. I just happened to be in London a couple nights a couple days before to do t- some television and some PR for it. Mm-hmm. And and the, and I remember the gig was sold out so I was really excited about it but I was really nervous about it and then um I was invited the night before my show was the closing night of a run of Eric Clapton shows there. Oh wow. And so I got invited to the show the night before I'm going to play. So I went to the Albert Hall and watched Clapton the night before I'm going to play there. And I remember <laughs> like three or four songs in thinking, this was not a good idea. Because it just made me think, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I mean, I was nervous about it anyway, but but watching a gig there and then knowing a, a, every song, thinking I'm going to be here tomorrow night, I'm going to be playing here tomorrow night. It, it, was, it was really, really scary, but in a good way. Because I, I think that that sort of nervousness oh, yeah. usually... Provides a, 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 an extra level of energy for a show.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, occasionally over the years, I've met actors who say, oh, "I never get nervous before I go." I, number one, I don't quite believe it because I think it's a natural human sure. trait to be nervous. Sure. Also, if if you're not nervous, you need that kind of adrenaline to kind of kick you off. Mm-hmm. Have you been watching the US Open? No. Oh, you're not a tennis fan.
1: Well, I used to be, and I used to be more of a sports fan, uh, but it's, you know, I don't know, about eight years ago, nine years ago, I just stopped watching all sports. I just stopped. I found that I devoted so much time to watching sports.
0: Well, tennis is the only thing I'm obsessed with. But anyway. Yeah, and I would,
1: I would actually still watch, uh, and especially I would love to go to a great tennis match because I... I, I, you know, I think that's. I played tennis, and I've always been, especially in the hey, in what I think the tennis heyday of the '70s and the '80s, with Jimmy Connors and Yvonne Lendl and Bjorn yeah. Borg, and yeah. that Although that whole got, era of got tennis.
0: On Nadal at the moment, and it will yeah. play at the U.S. Open. But I saw, I got, I got invited. Well, Lee and I got invited to Wimbledon last year into the royal nice. box.
1: I'll bet you did.
0: Terribly posh, and we yes. had, we had. Um, Strawberries and cream and champagne. And that was nice. fabulous because the seats are the best in the house. And, you know, right. although Rafael Nadal wasn't, if you can believe it, the day we went, he was playing in the other court. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in the roll box and he's in the other court. So we asked the organizers and they they'd snuck us under the, there's kind of walkways under the grounds and they yeah. snuck us around to the other court and snuck us in seats. <laughs> Uh, See, I would have, I I
1: think we talked about this when we had dinner last year, Uh, but I still, it must be tricky for you, Uh, although you're such a warm, sweet person, just inherently, so I know that you handle it well. I know you handle it well, but you can't go anywhere in in London, right, without people, I mean, I'm sure people are very sweet.
0: They don't really bother me. They talk to me, and it's my thing is like, Oh, God, do I know this person? I can't (laughs) remember who it is. I don't know them, but they know. Especially if it's somebody in my age group, they've grown up with me. So they talk to me like I'm an old mate.
1: (laughs) But it's, 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 oh, it's, it's, because in America, you know, there's so many stars, there's so many people that have done things. But there, in certain places in the world, like I would think for you, for sure. And also, like in Australia, there's a guy called John Farnham who is like synonymous with Australian music. I mean, he's the biggest star ever in Australia. Nobody knows him outside of Australia, but the guy can't go anywhere in Australia okay. without getting
0: what, what is interesting to me <clears throat> because, you know, I first came to America in 1967, um, all those years ago. So mm-hmm. I kind of got known in America. And over the years, obviously, you get older and you change. And then about eight years ago, I, I did America. I was a judge on America's Next Top Model. Right. And you forget the power of television, of course. Massive. And after the first series that I did went out, I went I, I went to one of those shops, you know, big stores that sell TVs. I, I needed a radio or something. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. And I got mobbed. By a group <laughs> of 15-year-old girls. It was so I mean they didn't hurt me.
1: But no, but so they funny. were freaking out.
0: They were hysterical. And they yeah. they'd seen they loved Tyra, of course. And there was a group of about 10 of them, and they were all screaming and jumping up and down. And oh, what's Tyra like? And and I and I, I walked out and it was lovely. And but I I suddenly thought, my God, the power of television—it's a bit terrifying, actually.
1: <laughs> it, it's so funny too, because s- similarly, this is probably I think two years ago, two or th- two or three years ago, I—I um, I was Daisy and I were somewhere like at a—I can't remember whether we were at a shopping center or on the street or. And this group of three or four young girls, like 17, 18 years old, came up to me. They were all excited. And I thought, oh, they think I'm somebody else. (laughs) And the the one girl said, are you Richard Marks? And I went, yeah. And they went, we saw you on The Bachelorette, which is this reality show. I did a quick thing on this show called The Bachelorette.
0: Amazing. And,
1: And I did a song and I did a little bit on this show. And I don't watch, I've never watched any reality TV ever. And I know that some of the shows are huge, and the only reason I did it was because I was promoting a yeah. song or something like that. And I kind of forgot about it. And for months after that appearance, I had all these people who would never have known. They would have been like, "Who's that old guy on the street?" They would have not cared at all. And it was all the power of just one little. I was on for like I, ten I minutes. The
0: power of television because I had yeah. absolutely. You know, it was. I loved doing it. I did it for a. About three years, and it was great fun. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't realize until it started going out, um, massive. I could walk around LA because I hadn't been seen in America for a few years. So, you know, I just, we used to bop about and do my thing until the first one went out. And then, yeah. and that, you know, people don't hurt me. And no, no. I think it's different for a male rock star or pop star because you get. Drunk and they can be quite dangerous, I think, because they want to hug and kiss you. And one of my old—have you ever heard of somebody called David Essex, who was a sure, huge, of huge, huge um, pop star hit in this yeah. country? I mean, it may, maybe he was known in America, but and he was huge here in the you know sixties, seventies, eighties. And he got a girl got on stage once because he's—he I used to know him years ago. He, she wanted a bit of his hair, and she came at him with scissors.
1: Oh, <laughs> wow.
0: And in that's her- over.
1: that's overstepping.
0: Oh my god, she could have taken his eye out cuz she was so excited, she could have slipped. So sure. You have to be, be a bit careful.
1: I mean, it's part of the, you know, it hasn't happened to me in a long time, but you know, I think it became you I, got
0: it when you first released all your, you know, yeah. rock stuff and
1: I got pulled pulled down off the stage once and got, you know, scratched, my my shirt was ripped apart and hair pulled like pulled out and and again it was like it was just frenzy and I knew that they the last thing they wanted to do was hurt me yeah exactly Um, but it would happen sometimes where these especially in the first few years when I still had you know teenage girls really into the music and, and young girls they would just lose their minds they would just go crazy like in a crowd of and it was it was infectious like they would just collectively lose their
0: Minds. I know when I first was in New York, um, in 1967, there'd been a lot of press of me coming into America and everything, you know, and I was this weeny little thing
1: <laughs> I yeah, you were
0: doing a photo shoot of me around the places in New York, like the empire state and the zoo. And they wanted one of me coming out of a store with shopping bags. It was yeah. dresses or something. And, um, There was a film crew filming it as well for a documentary. So people saw a film crew and a crowd gathered and the crowd pulled another crowd. So it got out of hand. Yeah. I mean, I think half the people at the back didn't even know who was in the middle. And I came out of the swing doors and I heard one policeman say to the other one, we're not going to hold them back, Joel. And I (laughs) started screaming because I was out in the middle of them. and They wanted my autograph. Yeah. But the people at the back started to push. Yeah. It was so scary. And my, I, luckily, they got me a bodyguard and he picked me up under his arm and ran me through the crowd and, and through the limousine window. Yeah. And I laid on my eyelashes were on my cheeks. I was <laughs> crying for me, mum. I was 17 years old. I mean, it was so yeah frightening. And as you say, they didn't want to hurt me.
1: They just lose, they just kind of get caught up in it.
0: And you could, I could have got squashed. (laughs) I just want to ask you, because you you won a Grammy for Dance With My Father, didn't you? Yeah,
1: it's right, you can't, you see it right there?
0: There it is. I have to say, that song, you wrote it with Luther Vandross, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's still one of the great songs. You must be so proud um,
1: of it. I am very proud of it, and I'm proud of how successful it was, and most mostly how it continues to touch people. And, and
0: it's I, the most wonderful song. It makes me well, cry actually every time. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I hear that from everyone. Um,
0: it really does.
1: It was, you know, I mean, I wrote several songs with Luther, and he we, he and I were really really close friends, uh-huh. but that song. To me, it was a beautiful song, and I loved that he told the story that he wanted to tell through that song. But to me, it was like we had written other really great songs, I thought, thought were great songs. <laughs> and when he finished recording Dance With My Father, he called me to tell me, A, that he was sending me a FedEx, Fed, federal expressing me a, a copy of the mix so I could hear it. But he said to me, I just want to thank you because this is the most important song of my career.
0: Oh, wow. He,
1: he knew it. He knew that it was special. But he that, just
0: That's the other thing I wanted to, do you know, did you know when you wrote that? Did you know when you wrote Right Here Waiting? Did you know no. when you wrote Hazard? That
1: No, I've never had that experience. Isn't
0: that I've easy?
1: never had that experience. I just, I, I I, in the case of like Hazard, for example, when I, I dreamed that song in the back of a tour bus and, and by the time I recorded it, I was just really excited about it because it was so different. And I thought, but the last thing I thought it would become was a hit. It didn't sound like a hit song to me at all.
0: But it was I just different. You were doing more rock stuff then, weren't you?
1: It was, well, it was very different for me, but it was just different than anything else and I, I, I that I heard on the radio. And I still haven't ever heard a song like Hazard or a record sounds like Hazard.
0: And it's mysterious as well, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, just the whole process of writing a, mystery short story to a piece of music but no the answer is I I sort of envy uh, other artists I know who will, or songwriters where they go I knew as soon as I wrote that song it was going to be I've never had that experience I just write songs that I like
0: Good. and I
1: hope that other people like them too
0: yeah yeah you can't I don't think you can't write to a formula can you
1: no you shouldn't no. anyway it should, you shouldn't. Come,
0: it should come from your heart during kind of lockdown and having to be home, have you learned any new things to do, or have you? What did you take up? Like I took up knitting and sewing, which I do anyway, but I went a bit mad making lots of things and jigsaw puzzles.
1: Those kind of things make total sense to me. You know, Twiggy, I I, I took up something that I never really did before. It's called doing nothing. It's what like I, really took up, to I took up I took up I took up the act of just being. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: That's hard to do, actually.
1: Really hard, really hard. Um, the first six or seven weeks of it, I filled my time doing... I had a show similar to this uh, called Social Distancing where I, I I chatted with people. I did it every Friday. I would do like a little mini concert uh, from this room where I would sing three songs. And, mm-hmm. and I was busy. I was trying to stay busy because my whole life I've been on the road and I've I've always been in motion. And then the forced stillness was difficult for me to deal with at first. And then once I sort of got over the hump of that, I've really just loved. Uh, first of all, I've just loved the time alone with, with my wife and we never go out. We hardly ever get takeout. You know, Daisy, luckily is an amazing cook. So she's had a great time experimenting in the kitchen and I'm well fed because of that. And, and we walk on the, we are also very grateful and lucky that we live on the beach. So we we can walk on the beach without worrying about, you know, being in around a lot of people. It's a very quiet stretch of beach. Um, we hike in the mountains, and, you know, on these trails that we know are really deserted.
0: And you've got dogs, haven't you?
1: We have a dog. Yeah. We, and so we hang out with, her and I see my kids very rarely but we you know I talk to them and FaceTime with them it's really been we've really just sort of like uh retreated into our little world and and over time it's
0: been I really I, really good for you actually good for it's you
1: been really really I really he good
0: I've kind of done the same he yeah. into the guard we 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 got a, a new place in the country just before lockdown we we got in so we had do in the house that kept us.
1: Yeah, clean. that's fine.
0: Yeah. Well, some of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had about 100 boxes to unload. But anyway. But then Lee got into – I'm not really a gardener. I got into my sewing and playing music and, and, yeah. and just slowing down. Because I'm a bit – the hardest thing for me was not being able to see the kids and our grandkids. Because yep. just before lockdown, Carly, my daughter, who you haven't met – had a little baby boy. I met him twice, and then we didn't see each other for four and a half months. But
1: Yeah, it's hard.
0: Our family, that's hard. Oh, it was yeah. really hard. But um, anyway, that we, we've got our bubble now, so we kind of can see each other. That's great. Anyway, it's been so lovely to talk to you.
1: Well, I adore you, and I adore Lee. Please give him a big hug for me. And um, it looks like, you know, next fall, uh, if if things – continue to slowly but surely steadily improve it looks like next fall i'll be there for th- you know, three shows at union chapel and,
0: perfect um, we shall be there cheering we'll hang out yeah that'd be lovely i can't wait but we'll be in touch before that for sure give daisy a big kiss from i will
1: much love to you
0: yeah thank you richard Lots. Mm-hmm. bye, bye. Oh, that was fabulous catching up with Richard and he's sounding great, looking great. I'm glad he's taken a break, actually, a forced break. But don't forget next year to look out for him when he comes over to tour. I think he's in the Union Chapel, he said, next autumn. I shall be there cheering him on. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I really loved talking to him. If you've enjoyed listening to Tea with Twiggy... Please take a moment to give us a lovely five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast so you auto-magically get the next episodes for free. And do tell all your friends and family about it too. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy, or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye.
1: Just heard a stripped media
0: production.